Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 4, season 19. We're all present and correct. Well, we're kind of all present and correct. At this point, normally I'd kind of go, hello Ryan Champion. Hello Tony Simpson. And it's lovely to have you back. I'd Thank say, you. I'd say, hello Trevor Agnew. Hello Tony Simpson and Ryan Champion. And then, I'd hope Trevor, hadn't you? Um, and then at this point, normally I'd say Jack Bengen, but unfortunately Jack's been replaced by Jake Bengen. Um, <laughs> so we thought we'd get Jake to join us on the live for the first time. Welcome to Absolute Rally for the first time, Jake Bengen. Hello, Tony Simpson, Trevor Agnew, and Ryan Champion. Have I got your names all right there? You know, a bit, bit, of a, bit of a new one. Just wanted to make sure I got everything correct there. Um, uh, what was should... the alternative to Jake? It was Silly Stupid or something, was it? I can't, I, I can't correct remember. It just made me laugh when I was reading the timeline. If, for, if, sorry, on Twitter, Jack was having a bit of a debate with somebody on Twitter. Uh, I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Jack or Jake? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and he retorted by, by referring to Jack as Jake. And I don't know what was more, I don't know what Jack was more offended by being called Jake, uh, or the fact that he disagreed with his point. No, I don't, th- I don't think we disagreed, to be fair. I think it was just, uh, I think there was a bit of a, a slight bit of miscommunication, but we, I think it's, it was a worthy topic to have a debate about, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on anyway. Well, hopefully we will. Hopefully we will. Um, so this week, folks, it is just, it is just our, our, ourselves. We said we were going to try and do one of these every so often where we're all present and correct anyway. Um, so Sweden boys is this week. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Ryan Champion, because of course, every time, well, it feels like since we started doing this podcast, there's always been this question about whether there's going to be enough snow in Sweden. And you always send lovely pictures, obviously from playing on the frozen lakes and where you are to say, there's loads of the stuff here. Um, are we getting into the realms? Do you think where perhaps Rally Sweden will not be Rally Sweden as we know it and may even, we may even lose the famous snow round? Uh, well, let's hope we don't lose the snow round um, because it, it's, you know, it's uh, really part of the heritage of the WRC. But uh, it's it is becoming a serious issue. It's been a serious issue for a long time, and people say, well, this has been the same for for years, and and Sweden's still there. But you know, even from what what we do with the the ice driving, we're seeing such unpredictable winters in Sweden, and we're sort of 500 kilometres further north than, than where the rally is, and and this winter just hasn't been cold. I think. Um, the, the coldest temperature we've seen this year was, was minus 10, and that was for literally one night, whereas, you know, it's normally like that for, for weeks and, and even months. Um, so regardless of, of what's causing it, we'll not get into climate change and that kind of thing, because we're not that kind of sure. Um, regardless of what's causing it, you know, the, the weather is getting more unpredictable in Sweden, and, uh, you know, they, they've moved heaven and earth, haven't they, to, to put this rally on this weekend. Uh, let's hope we, we do get some good action out of it. Uh, I saw a couple of shots on social media that there might be a little bit of snow around, but, yeah, we can't go through this year after year, can we? No, I, don't, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Jack. I spoke to somebody who I know um, at the FIA and they were just finalising the route. This would have been probably around this time last week. Um, and, you know, the, the pressures they were under. And, of course, you know, there's there's always been little comments or little barb comments. Obviously, most of the event now, I think, is in Norway, isn't it? Yeah, there's pretty much um, half the run-ins in Norway now. But there's, there's a few issues here. I think I've seen some pictures today of people tweeting uh, snow and stuff falling in, in Sweden, which is great. But... The, the thing that makes Rally Sweden a snow rally is not really the snow, it's the ice. Because we have the studded tyres and the studs dig into the ice, which is underneath the snow, and that's what gives them the grip. And then obviously we have the snow banks on the top, which 
create a little buffer for the for the cars to bounce off and stuff if if drivers want to get aggressive. But the the thing is, even if we get snow now, there's not enough time for it to compact and turn into ice underneath the surface. So we're, we're, and the other thing that exacerbates that problem is the fact that the running order is over the same stages on Friday and Saturday. So even if we are having heavy snow now, there's not enough time for it to compact and turn into ice. And then we're going to have cars driving over the stages, repeating the stages again and again. So that snow is going to be blown apart. I'm just going to end up with a gravel rally effectively. I think, um, you know, I, I don't control the weather and I can't predict what the weather's going to do, but I can't see enough snow falling and it, it's not currently cold enough to, to, to create that icy layer that we need underneath. So, uh, yeah, for me, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a problem we, we've had pretty much every year. We had it last year, not the year before that, but the year before that. Um, and for me, it's just time to seriously look at moving to somewhere like America now. I think, I think a lot of the car makers will be attracted to, to running a rally in America and America have got loads of, uh, snow rallies that run at this time of the year or some at least a couple of very good quality ones so um you know i think it's time to move away and obviously there's a emotional connection to sweden um it's been part of the wrc for a very long time and it's one of the countries that's produced a lot of very good drivers and if you look at the history of the winners of rally sweden a lot of them are scandinavian um so you know it's obviously a a, a rally that means a lot to them but at the same time um you know we can't we can't keep putting the WRC in the same position. You know, we've already seen that we've lost, you know, Rally Australia and Rally Chile in a very short period of time. And, you know, that has massive cost implications to the WRC and we can't keep losing events. So you can't keep putting this on the calendar every year knowing that it's going to be a problem. Uh, big words, science and geography from, from Jack slash Jake. Uh, Trev, what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's your take on, on this? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to side with Jake and Jack, uh, both of them. With regards to the to, to the possible move, um, and I suppose this is the big thing now that all the WRC events have to bring something to the party financially these days, and you just can't help but feel that perhaps now with guaranteed weather in certain parts of the world, like the states, Canada, you know, on the borders over over that part of the world, um, it, it would kind of tick a box in, in in so many so many ways, really. Yep, I had a Skype video call with Martin Rowe, who lives in Whistler in Canada. Uh, earlier in the week, I need a metre and a half of snow at this point in time. So uh, the Canada call would be quite a good one, I think. Uh, it's so frustrating for everybody involved. Like Everybody uh, seems to think, or certainly some daft comments online to say Swedish organisers do this and do that. Uh, They've certainly thought about everything. There's no doubt about it. And for me, it's probably too much of a gamble now when it comes to this time of the year because we've seen it, as Ryan said, three out of the last five years probably, um, where from the promoter's point of view, as Jack mentioned, if you're selling 13 rounds of the World Championship, you're down to 12 and you're potentially down to 11 and you've got all those TV rights to sell, etc. There's just too much of a financial gamble now. And, uh, and of course, for everybody else involved, it's... Uh, uh, when you're when you're running right up to the weekend before the rally, not knowing whether it's going to run or not, and even as we speak, we don't know what type of rally is going to run. As Jack said, uh, if the if it's not cold enough, traditionally what they've done, if the temperatures have been low and there's no snow, is they've watered the stages. So I don't know what the approach will be this year because watering stages that are going to turn to mud isn't going to be a good option, I don't think. Uh, so for me, uh, it is what it is. We'll go forward. Hopefully, we'll have a decent rally. I just want every everybody to say right that's it we've talked about conditions let's crack on do what have to do everybody 
don't make it as an excuse and don't just keep talking about all bloody weekend. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mentioned on last week's show, and, and as ever, Gary Boyd did, 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 did send this answer in for us. You know, if we if if we were to lose it, you know, are we in the realms of you know setting a precedent for how many rounds have been cancelled as it started? Apparently, 1974 with three rounds were cancelled, but I, I kind of think right that. In this day and age, and again, I'm just—I feel like I'm repeating what Trev's just said. There has to be guarantees now for the for the levels of finance that are involved, doesn't it? There has to be a guarantee that if you're going to go and do a tarmac rally, you're going to get tarmac. I know I'm stating the bleeding obvious here. You're going to do gravel rally, you're going to get gravel, and if you're going to do a snow snow ice rally, you're going to get that. You know, there has to be a guarantee. Otherwise, all we're going to do is run a, a, a very very short scale down wet gravel rally. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There can't be this element of doubt every year. Uh, it needs to be a guaranteed winter rally. And if, if that means moving it, unfortunately, then then it's going to have to move. Um, I guess the one thing is that uh, the costs have been reduced slightly going to the Swedish rally. In the, in the past, obviously, all the teams had specialist wheels. They all ran like uh, 16-inch wheels, very narrow wheels, whereas now they run the, the, the sort of normal gravel wheel. But nonetheless, you know, it's uh, there'll be an awful lot of money spent to go and do a, a very short event this time round. And, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, it, you need guarantees at this level. It is the world championship. It's not an amateur sport. And we want the pictures that come away from the rally. You know, taking on board what, what Jack said about it's, it's the ice layer that you want, but we want snowy pictures, don't we? We want the big snow banks. We want the rooster tails of snow coming from the cars. That's what this rally is all about. And, and if it, you know, and I love the Swedish rally as much as anybody else, but if its current base can't offer that every year, then it needs to move. Are we in the realms? boys and i don't know whether there's any other rounds like this but as the as the sport does the sport actually outgrow some events there you go there's a there's a, an emotive question to ask uh, you know are we in the realms jack of, of of the sport because the way the sport is changing as well and the demands of the sport you know from from manufacturers from sponsors you know from from everybody are we in danger of events being left behind not just because of weather, but for other reasons as well. Uh, possibly, but yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of um, sort of outside issue here. The the problem is that with Sweden is that they they can no longer guarantee that it's going to be a snow rally every year, and uh, you know pretty much at the same time we're seeing um, you know like the American Rally Association opener in in perfect perfect snow pretty much um and you know to ryan talking about pitches uh, i don't think they use studded tires out there do they so they're they're all running kind of normal well not normal tires they I, I guess they use a, a thinner tire i'm sure you guys you guys will know more about that but basically they don't use studs so they're really spectacular you see the cars sliding all over the place and uh, i think it's difficult for um you know, I think it's really difficult for the Swedish organisers to feel really sorry for them. But, you know, if they can't guarantee the weather, then they can't guarantee that they're going to put on a winter rally. So, you know, I think I don't think anything's outgrown anything other than we're, you know, as, as Ryan said, we're not we're not an environmentalist podcast, but we're getting to a point where the, this rally where situated, where situated where it is isn't a guaranteed snow rally every year. So for me, it's a it's a no brainer. I think you've got to think about this from a business point of view. Because, you know, as much as we are all fans sat here talking about how much we want to see, you know, nice pictures and all that sort of stuff, we don't get those nice pictures if the business side of the sport doesn't work. So, you know, if this if this event isn't guaranteeing snow and it has to be cancelled every year or it's being shortened and, uh, you know, 
TV's times being cut and things like that, then you know the, the event has to move, and we have to as as motorsport moves forward with more and more of these difficult decisions, where you know we're seeing hybrids come in and electric and all these kind of difficult questions that are being posed to sport. We have to take the you know the the heart out of it and really make the the decisions from a business point of view in a lot of cases because none of us want to see something like the Manx rally disappear. We all want to see it go ahead. But, you know, we need to work on the business side. If you make the business side work, then you can usually make these events work. Obviously, the problem with Sweden is you can't change the weather. So you've got to move it either further north in Sweden, which is really difficult for logistics. And there's not really a, a major city that you can pin the event to further north in Karlstad or you move the event to a different country. And, you know, I think, we, like I said, we just need to take the emotion out of this one and, and make it from a business point of view. Yeah, um, sorry, Trev. Um, I don't know whether you, you, you did this, but I'm just thinking would the quick fix to would be just to go back to obviously what we had as rally norway back in 0709 i don't know whether you did, were you doing pwrc then or did you did you do any of those events did you do norway trev uh no i didn't do norway but i remember it was definitely a variation of we rally and uh, uh, would that be the quick fix because obviously we went to the extreme of going okay we know the stuff in north america and, and the canada the canada region and stuff like that but would the quick fix to this would be maybe we just flip this to, 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 to norway again Sounds like an easy thing to do, but you have to remember that where the snow is, they usually snow our ski resorts. Those ski resorts are full, irrespective of any rally coming near them. They don't need the rally. And uh, I try and find a base that works with that, I think, is the issue, uh, because that clearly is everybody's thought about that before. But isn't it ironic that here we are talking about running a rally, so ripping cars through the centre of Sweden, and we can't do it because it's too warm. I wonder why it's too warm. <laughs> Quite funny. <laughs> but if, if this is going to turn into an environmental podcast, because everybody's alluded to it so far. Should we just get the elephant out the room and just yeah, say I that? Yeah, Donald Trump. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Who's you blame, right? Um, I don't think all those coal-fired power stations in China are helping. Okay. Topical. Topical. I can see that. Uh, Trev? Uh, I'm not going to blame anybody at this point. What's the point? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, do you know this, this, this is fracking ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> see, it's, see, you've gone one way. Where I was just about to make reference to the splinter in Trev's arse, to be honest. Oh, God. I know. But then again, now I've planted an image of Trevor's arse in everybody's head. I apologise. Um, but then again, we've been sent a picture of his race suit blowing in the wind for the last two days. Hmm. So just just, just in case you wonder, because I realise this is now turned into a very private conversation <laughs> when there's, there's thousands of people listening, and we do appreciate the dialogue. Trev sent us all a picture of his race suit on the washing line, and we thought it was a comeback. It wasn't. He just decided to wash it. So that's all it was anyway. That's all Don't it was. Let it come back. He's been here for years. Oh, thanks, Jack. I love that. I don't want. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for anyway. Yeah, this isn't a rapid Actually, podcast either. Believe Hello, it or not, okay. it's five Hello, years since okay. uh, five years for this rally. For my come back to WRC to do Sweden to help out backs in the radio. It's mad that that five years has gone so quick. Wow. Hey, Tony. Going back to LL Cool J. Maybe that's my. That, maybe that can be my rap name. LL Cool Jake. LA cool Hi. Oh, Girl, you're on form this week, Ben, you know, what's going on? I think, I think there might be a new lady in his life, maybe. That's all I'm saying. I'm only guessing. Are you getting your rocks off, Jack? She's, uh, she's going out with someone called Jake, so I'm, I'm out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, listen, Sweden is... Hump for you. <laughs> Sweden is also... Um, 
the opening round of JWRC, of course, we had a friend of the show, John Armstrong, on a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, I'll, I'll come to you first on this, Ryan Champion. Um, with all what we've just been talking about and the concerns and stuff, um, obviously, the, 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 the juniors, they had to make a tough decision because they were going to, of course, have Chile and we were talking about events being cancelled. This is the opening round for those guys as well. Um, is this... Do you think it, do you think it's fair? Do you think it's right? This is now the opening round, bearing in mind all the doubt about it and obviously the shortening of the mileage and stuff like that. Do you think it might have just been better just to, to bowl in another European event and make it uh, a slightly better championship for them? It, I do feel like they're getting a little bit short change perhaps on, on, on the opening round of, of the juniors here. Well, I guess you could say that with hindsight, but you know, the Rally Sweden is is a, a great event to do. It's a good learning event. It's an event that we saw, you know, the British junior team go to back in the day with with the likes of David Llewellyn and Colin McCrane. They all they all wanted to go and do the uh, the Swedish Rally because it was a, a great learning experience. Um, you know, as, as young drivers, a lot of us went up to to John Hoglands, and that's the Alistair McCrae's, the the Mark Higginses, David Higginses, and Martin Rowe, everybody else. You know, we always went up to drive on the lakes, to drive on snow, to drive on studs because you can learn a lot from the experience. So I can, I can understand them wanting to put it in the championship. Um, you know, and, and actually, you know, credit to JWRC this year. Fantastic entry. What is it? Something like 16 cars they've got this year. Um, but as you said, uh, the way things have turned out, they're going to have a pretty tough weekend because uh, I think there's no two ways about it. The stages are going to cut up badly. And by the time the, the Fiestas get there, the stages aren't going to be in great shape so uh, yeah like i said at the start i can see why it's in there if it's a true winter rally it's a great event for them to do uh they've all been at petter solbergs i see this week and uh learning about the cars at petters and getting a bit of experience from him so in an ideal world it should have worked perfectly but you know the the reality is it's going to be difficult for them this is absolute rally Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally. Um, Jack, the juniors, as, as, as Ryan's just alluded to there 16 16 drivers we know it's not we know it's not cheap we had john of course talking about the ladder that he's seen with regards to obviously winning juniors you get the r5 yes obviously support fuel and tires and then obviously off the back of that if you win um wrc3 <laughs> uh the reason why i giggle i'm sure we'll come to in a second you win wrc3 uh you also then get two rounds in a full wheel rally car um the following year so there is obviously an opportunity there. and you, Do you think that every single one of those drivers going into juniors will believe that they can do that? That's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I think, I think it's got, the answer's got to be yes. If you, if you don't believe that you can go and win that, then you shouldn't be competing, should you? I think, uh, I think Ryan's probably the, or, or, or Trev or even yourself to a certain extent are better for that question because you've obviously gone to championships with, you know, with a, with a, with a goal in mind. And for me, I'd say if you compete at a world championship level, you've got to believe in your own, you know, your own ability and, and, and believe that you can win events and, and win the championship. But yeah, you know, good, uh, really good entry. I think there'll, there'll be a, a couple of drivers there. There's quite a few drivers there in, in R2s who are very, very, very experienced and a couple who've stepped down from R5 competition as well. So I think there's six drivers there I can point to straight away who could probably win that championship. So it's going to be interesting to watch. 
Right. Uh, what's your take on it? Because, you know, we, we always flippantly joke about this. You, you've done more one makes than anybody. I've done a couple of them. Um, all those drivers, we know JWRC is a fantastic championship. We also know it's not obviously a cheap championship to do. And you've got to have some support in order to bring what, you know, it is a six digit amount of money you need to bring. Um, and I always find it, you know, when, when I look at the strength that it's got this year, as Jack's just alluded to there, to me, there's probably a handful that realistically can win that championship. And it always, I, I'm always fascinated to know what the motivation is perhaps for the others that, you know, they must believe, but there must be somebody saying to them, well, shouldn't we be doing this with this money and going to do this or whatever? Are you always surprised when you look at, you know, a big, you know, a big numbers in championships like that? Because there's only a handful of realistic winners for me in it. Yeah, I guess some are looking at it with a, a longer term goal, you know, in that they might be there for, for two years um, or even three years and they might be able to win it down the line in the future. Um, but I, I guess, yeah, as, as we've just talked about, if you're in a championship like that, you want to believe you can win it. The reality is, as you said, there's some very, very quick people in there. Um, and, you know, we, we know John well. We'll be talking to John through the season. But other people have, have got to look at him. He's He, as along with a couple of the others, as you said, have driven in juniors, won in juniors, moved on to R5 and come back again, as many people have done in their careers, to a, a one-mate platform to, to try and go forward again. So an incredibly competitive environment. Uh, yes, unfortunately, it's very expensive. I think we'd all like to see... The, something like the World Junior Championship to be cheaper, but the reality of that is almost impossible. You know, they're, they're based on R2 cars as it is. Um, would you want to go down the route of R1? Probably not. Um, or what's that now? R5, is it? Isn't R1 the new R5? Aha. Anyway. They were, we'll they were in Norway, actually, funnily enough. Anyway, so they Aha. 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 They were. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Not Kilda are going to love this. I know. Aha. Um, sorry, Ryan was making a serious point there. Jack. Stop messing about. So, oh dear. Um, yeah, but uh, we'd all like to see championships cheaper, wouldn't we? If it was particularly at this level, but uh, yeah, there's just not a lot of option for that to happen. And uh, we've also talked about the, you know, without getting into the British Championship debate, it's it's difficult for drivers to progress now. They've got to get to world level it seems before you can progress any further um but then if you've got the money you can also bypass jwrc as we've seen with cali robin pera so well, i say money backing opportunities whatever i'm not not saying he's, he's got there purely because of money but what i'm saying is you can bypass it if you've got the connections so uh yeah it's a difficult one but then motorsport's never been any different has it well you know what? i'm glad you said that because there is there is this elements and again both you and Trev me to a minuscule kind of level will kind of uh, uh, relate to where I'm going to go with this um, there's this common thing when you speak to people in and around rallying and I'm seeing it a lot at the moment funnily enough um, that there is um, that way back when there was people just giving drives willy nilly uh, in inverted commas, works drives, and they just came about, and there was loads of them, and everybody earned a living, and everybody was happy, and they all lived happily <laughs> ever after. Yeah. Now, right, you you you've had opportunities, you have had work supported drives and things like that, but um, okay, there's less opportunities now because there isn't the British Junior team and things like that, but 
can you just perhaps set the record straight that you still have to find shed loads of cash? And if you did a conversion to, to probably, you know, if what, what it was costing then to what it was costing now where you can do that conversion on a website, it's probably not going to be a million miles away, is it? You're right. It, it's it's always been very costly. It's you know you've never been able to do it on a on a shoestring. I guess the only difference is when when things like the Peugeot Challenge were around at national level, you could compete reasonably affordably in that championship. Um, you know, I think my first two or five was something like six thousand quid, and and all right, we had to put a better engine in it, but you you weren't spending massive money on the cars, and you could compete in a championship where you could not only win prize money but also be noticed by the manufacturer but that was only you know the one driver a year that won that championship or maybe two drivers uh that that got a free deal from it and he still had to have some money to be able to do that in the first place but a lot of the the works drives that we saw even in the 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 British Championship, they required a lot of money to get into originally, either, either by somebody, you know, spending uh, spending their money or sponsors' money on on several years before they got noticed by manufacturers, or there was some shell support at the time, or some private sponsorship, whatever it may be. But yeah, ultimately it had to be funded somewhere yeah. along the line. And if you go back to sort of JWRC, you know, we we touched on it a few weeks ago about how cool JWRC was when he had Suzuki, he had Ford, he had um, all these, these manufacturer supported teams in there uh, but that was incredibly costly as well, I mean, you know, even uh, something like the Pumas, I remember the, the budgets to run a Puma on JWRC and the Puma was like the, you know, probably uh, I don't like to say it, but the worst car if you like, and that was still thirty to £40,000 a rally to run at world championship level what, and what year what year was that right let's just give so, it a context here to me that's about 2002 maybe 2001 yeah, yeah you're talking that sort of era yeah yeah um you know and i'm sure by the time you got onto the swifts and the the proper uh, c2s and that kind of stuff they they would be significantly more money so yeah like you said we all look back and, and i think what's different is that domestic championships did have factory drivers they did and and we still see it to a degree in in some strong championships um but they, they've fallen by the wayside you know you, we see funded drivers in belgium now but we don't really see many factory teams as it were there's you know same in italy uh but you always have needed funding and you always will need funding unless you're very very lucky but that's only one or two people trevor am i being a little bit unfair that because i'm just, i'll be honest with you, i'm kind of it's it's becoming a little bit tiresome when I, when I read some other stuff about this now, that people do tend to think that um, if if this if driver X um, would, was around 20 years ago or 25 years ago, he would have been picked up, you know, like a McRae or like a Burns to use a UK as an example. But you know, people do tend to not think or not really know the history and know how much money were put into their careers before they even really became, you know, a known name, as it were. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And Rand mentioned that. Uh, what you don't see, not just from a driver, from a co-driver's point of view as well, the investment that goes in, going from clubman events right the way through until you get to a point where you're starting to earn a few quid back out of it. And that's an investment that you need to then keep earning from. And let's face it, at the end, when I stopped in 2005, there were people willing to do it for nothing at world championship level, and I wasn't, uh, considering the risk that was involved, and that's why I stopped, um, because it was my job at the time, and uh, I had to go and find income somewhere else, which is why I had to stop competing, really. And, uh, yeah, but 
if you think if I if I look through and the amount of investment that I made from going to have right with her, even as a co-driver, yeah, you've got to you've got to dig hard. But it goes back to what you were talking about last week on the show. You've got to have the relationships. You have to go out and start talking to people, getting them interested in you, and then you've got to sell yourself before you start selling what it'll do for the person uh, that's going to start investing in it. I shudder to think how much money Timo Yaki has invested in, in Temu Sunanen at this point. Um, I was just interested to uh, ask him a few questions about how he thinks that investment's going. Uh, and you think about the money, as I said, it's being spent at the top. But the flip side of that is he also manages Cali Rovenpera. So, uh, like anything, is certainly a big risk when it comes to investment and rallying. From a driver's point of view, you've got to convince people who've got plenty of money. And as I said before, there are lots of people out there with an interest in motorsport. They've got plenty of money, quite happy to give something back rather than give it to the taxman. But you need to demonstrate why you're the person that is the one to have that investment over and above everybody else and that's where the selling comes in and that's where uh, a lot of people they aren't very good at it unfortunately do you know it's funny you should say that because i get sent things from time to time and i had something said to me very very recently and it wasn't from from rallying it was from somebody from a racing background and i was sent such a generic proposal it was untrue it was untrue. And I almost wanted to contact them and say, I'm not going to give you anything, but I can give you some advice. Don't send the generic proposal. At least in in, really, in yeah. really simple terms, Tony, I don't know about you, but it doesn't happen so much now. But sometimes you come home from work, you're in the house, you maybe poured a beer, a glass of wine, the phone rings, and you know rightly it's somebody trying to sell you something. And all you want to do is put that phone down. Try not to be rude, but you want to put it down. On the odd occasion, I mean, very rare, you realize that you're on the phone to that person a minute and a half or two minutes later having a conversation. What have they done? What have they said to grab your attention, to keep you interested? That's the difference. And that certainly isn't in somebody reading off a script, which is uh, the easiest one to put down the phone to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just just something to add to to what you're both saying there as well is it's not only uh, you know you're on about the the investment that you put in Trevor to get to where you did. What about the time you invested as well? You know the most people when they're trying to make their way in rallying have got to earn a living, but to go rallying it takes a huge amount of time. You know the the people who are competing in the juniors in Sweden will be there for the week. Now. They've got to earn a living outside of that, most of them. It was the same when, you know, when we were doing British Championship back in the day, the Manx Rally, for example, you were there for a week uh, with, with wrecking and everything. So it, it's not just having the, the backing to do it. It's having the, the you know, the, the personal position where you can you can take that time off work and still support yourself. And, and there's been a number of drivers and co-drivers, particularly co-drivers over the years that have taken a gamble and they've they've left full time employment to go and co-drive um, for for a driver, hoping to make a career from it, but then maybe that driver's lost their deal and the, and the co-driver's left with, with no employment. So, um, you know, there's a lot of personal investment in terms of time as well. Yeah, if you worked out that time, you know, your hourly rate, if you worked out your own hourly rate, what it would be, and then you added that into it, it'd probably, it'd probably break your heart. Perfectly <laughs> honest, probably break your heart. But still, um, uh, just coming back round to where I wanted to, this is kind of ended up where I wanted it to go to anyway. But, um, Jack, you and I spoke, um, briefly before we started recording this about the, the FIA's, um, the prize drive situation, which I read a little bit about last week. Uh, obviously, this, 
this all funnels into the fact that apparently there is a there's a scholarship of some sort. Am I am I doing this justice with regards to you know so many hundreds of people that are going to be funneled through and they're going to use simulators and things like that, which will effectively end up with in inverted commas a prize drive to at least get them on the on on the start of their p- potential rally career. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a long winded document the FIA have released to be fair um, and it's you know quite extensive but top and bottom of it is it's basically uh, an FIA version of the FFS, FFSA program that happens in France where people like Sebastian Auger, Sebastian Auger and Sebastian Loeb have, have come through the ranks so basically it kicks off with a, an auto test and a simulator event um, that you pay something like uh, 15 euros to, to enter and I think the biggest one they've ever had was uh, 10,000 people um they basically narrow down that number of uh people into obviously a group that will then be uh go for a year of like testing and, and de- like a development program um and yeah basically they they keep funneling these number of drivers down to the point where they'll get a, a funded junior world rally championship season um and if one of the drivers wins that junior world rally championship then they'll be given a wrc3 seat in a you know they'll be given the car and the the tires for a wrc3 effort which is um joy back to this again wrc3 is uh wrc2 pr- uh, previously um privateer entrance with an r5 car so um the the manufacturer r5 entrance go now go into um wrc2 and the ones that are private going to wrc3 so yeah it's a it's an interesting program and looks like the fia are going to put a significant amount of money behind this and it's got a little bit of Pirelli star driver in it, a little bit of FFSA program in it. So looks like they're kind of trying to take the best two prize structures that we've seen in, in recent years and try and combine them to, to give the next uh, WRC champion, which is, you know, a, a great opportunity for the person who, who eventually wins it. Whether someone will actually get to the top of that pyramid is, is interesting because, uh, you know, the winning the junior world Rally championship is not easy. Um, and yeah, WRC three is going to be a very difficult task for whoever gets, uh, gets hold of that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see who wins it. Right. Um, on the face of it, this seems, seems great. Um, but I can't help but feel there's a, there's a little cynical part of me and I don't quite know why I'm feeling cynical about it. Maybe I need to do a bit more research before I actually comment, but is it as good as it sounds or am I, missing something or what what's your take on it i think we have to wait and see uh, but uh, you know at least they've taken an initiative at least the fia is doing something and we we all want to see this we all want to see you know more support for for young drivers to to make it possible to do exactly what we've just been talking about you know we've said it's virtually impossible for somebody for a man off the street or you know young guy young girl off the street to, to come into rallying and to make it to the top. So any program that can help that happen is a, is a great thing to see. So I guess we'll just have to give it time and, uh, you know, see where it goes. And, and, and it's, it's quite interesting. The first round of the assessment. And as, as Jack said, the FFSA have done it before is a simple auto test and people forget how much they can learn about motorsport at a grassroots basic level you know everybody wants to go straight into international rallies nowadays um starting auto testing is a brilliant way to learn car control in a a nissan micro that was free from a you know from some relative in the family because it failed its mot and you can go and do competitive events in it and learn a massive amount before you go rallying but 
uh, it seems that people want to uh, fast track it now and 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 just miss the the grassroots level and, and jump straight in and there's a lot to be said for uh, for things like auto testing do you think though um right i'm going to come to you in a second on this crab I, I know that's something that i think you i, I seem to remember you do an auto test not so long ago, even even just for for uh, for, for fun, as it were. But in, in an old Nissan Micra that yeah. failed its MLT test. Yeah. There you go. I, 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 the case in point perfectly. Um, but uh, do you think people were introduced to stuff like that and through the kind of the motor club connection? And I I, I just think that most people now miss out motor clubs. To be perfectly uh, honest with you. Yeah, they and, do. They do. And, so, and, and that's an unfortunate thing uh, because there's a lot to be learned. You know, uh, like, like Trev did, like I did, we started doing 12 car rallies, then you progress onto road rallies and you learn all about controls. You know, you, you're not coming to a stage rally, uh, thinking what's that yellow board because you know all that. You know, you've been through it all and, and there's a reason why people progressed through these events and did very, very well. Trev, how would you perhaps make um, motor club sexy again the, for, 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 for young people to kind of go, do you know what, that's the way I'm going to go rather than just going straight to doing a rally like Raj just said. How do we make it? Because, you know, I think Jack, I seem to remember Jack bringing this point up maybe last year with regards to organisers and stuff like that because, of course, that's where a lot of the organisers come from, from motor clubs and, you know, perhaps, you know, we're we're now starting to lose, sadly, generations of people that have been involved at that level and, you know, we haven't got a lot of new blood coming through how do we get motor clubs as a place for perhaps young people to go and learn and, and maybe go and do an auto test because it's a cheap way in? How do we do it? Because I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I, I really don't. And I think, I think that could be not half the problem, certainly, but a minuscule part of the problem to get people involved. Uh, it's not just uh, motor clubs. It's everything, extracurricular activities at school. I gave a talk recently for a rotary club, and uh, they had just got uh, a brief through from somebody who wanted to get young kids involved in uh, building go-karts, if you like, uh, you know, soapbox go-kart type things. And there was a couple of principals there from, from high schools, and they said, you won't get them. He says, to try and get... Uh, one, one guy stood up and said they're trying to get young kids nowadays to do anything other than computer studies or playing on their, sorry, playing on their game consoles or whatever. I know it sounds quite generic, but these guys have tried all these things. So, uh, I don't think the motor club needs to be any sexier as such. And certainly Motorsport UK have put together this, uh, program. I think it's called Trackside where they're starting to talk to a lot of companies and, and get people along that don't necessarily need to be a member of a particular motor club, but they'll be able to go and have motorsport experiences for a very small amount of money. Um, and on the back of that, that's where then you'll be able to meet the people who will spot the opportunity and someone you know quite well, David Williams, was that guy who spotted Richard Burns in Craven Motor Club, I think it was. And uh, if you see someone and you see the potential, then you're going to help and work with them. Uh, and that might involve you investing some of your money. Uh, but that young person has to turn up on the day and has to build that relationship, which, you know, if they're sat on their computers or their iPads or whatever, even in the back of the car now, you see kids that are buried their heads in the back of uh, in their iPads. They're not even looking out. So when they come to drive, you think of all the things that we learned when we were passengers as kids in cars. So when we actually got behind the wheel with a lot more awareness, these kids are sat in the back now, not even looking out. 
what chance do they have when it comes to getting on the road? So it's all changed, Tony. We've got to look at it a little bit differently, creatively, as you say. I don't think it's the fault of the motor clubs. It's just everybody's attention is drawn in so many different ways now to try and get a kid, a 14, 15-year-old, to steer it into a motor club is a big, big challenge. Jack, Jake, whatever we want to call you, you're the youngest out of all of us, so you're the you're the you're the nearest generational. Um, how do you see it? How do you see? Because obviously you've 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 wrote about motorsport from grassroots level all the way up to world championship level. How do you see it of getting younger people involved? Well, I think yeah, I think it's a chicken and egg problem because I think everything you guys have pointed out is is bang on and you know it'd be great to get more people into to motor clubs and participating at a, a grassroots level but the the, the sport is I, I take your point of what you were saying earlier when you were saying about the about the works blessed drives and all that kind of stuff um which, which were paid for but i think i think there was uh, however you look at it i think there was more manufacturers and more money being pumped into rallying 30 years ago 20 years ago than than there is now and i think even if you get these kids into into motor clubs and get them competing at grassroots level, there's not enough opportunities for them to move up. And you, you're targeting such a small group of people who are going to have the cash to be able to do these kind of things that it's a, it's a chicken and egg situation. You might be able to get more people into the motor clubs, but they're not, you know, the, what is statistically the likelihood that you, you know, you add 50 people to a motor club. How many people are them? How many how many, how many of those people are going to be able to spend 400 grand on doing the British Rally Championship? You know, not many of them. So, it's, it's do, you know, a, it, do you know what though, Jack? Just if, sorry to interrupt on this, but I remember speaking to somebody, uh, and it'd be amiss of me to name them because it's um, I'm using their quote, so I'm not going to say who it was. But somebody said the words along the lines of, uh, "What we need now is a um, hundred people spending four grand a year in motorsport than one person spending four hundred grand." Yeah, and that that would be ideal, but it, it depends what your end goal is, doesn't it? Um, you know, something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is the effect of, well, as Trevor kind of put it, the, the kind of games console element of things, because I think, you know, in the past, you would have had to have gone down to your local motor club and participated in motorsport via getting out there and actually doing it, whereas now... People can be, people can become, become famous now from being sim racers or you know winning you know Tom Armstrong, uh, John Armstrong won the the World Rally Championship esports category um, and you know that hasn't completely funded his his uh, you know his sort of live career if you like actually being in the car but it's helped him to gain some some notoriety and you know what a parents going to say. Uh, to their to their kid if they say can you take me to the local motor club or can you know or should I play on my PlayStation you know a lot of times they're going to choose to play on the PlayStation aren't they so it's just uh, you know I think there's there's so many questions that it's basically uh, just a rabbit warren isn't it of which which one do you answer first do you get more people into participation first and then risk not having them anywhere for them to go or do you is try that, and yeah, solve but, top end but, before but, you solve the bottom end but but is the it is the point and I know my answer and I, I'll answer this completely and utterly honestly and I'm going to ask Trev and I'm going to ask Brian okay when I got into rallying um, 22 23 years ago I never ever genuinely thought I would do anything more than a local single venue and then circumstances uh, enabled me to do things and 
I, I, I've done way beyond what I ever dreamed of when I was younger. I was, I, you know, my, all I wanted to do was just go and do rallies. That's all I ever wanted to do. I know if it was single venue, then that's fine. I was going to live. I had no aspirations of, of or thoughts that I am going to be a, you know, a professional rally driver and I'm going to go in and I'm going to go rallying. Right. Right. When you started rallying, did you start rallying based on the fact that you were going to become a professional driver? Yes. Did you? Okay, that's fine. No, no, <laughs> well, I mean, right, honestly, I, that's fine. No, no I, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Did I Did I think I could? Not necessarily. Did I want to be? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up around rallying, obviously, from an early age. I always wanted to go rallying. I always wanted to be involved in rallying. And I, I still remember, funnily enough, um, my mum was doing the RSC in 91 something. And I saw uh, U.R. Kankin and won the rally. And it finished in Harrogate. And at the prize giving, he drove his Lancia on stage in the prize giving. And then the Finnish national anthem played. And I just thought, I want to do that. I want to. And that never quite happened. But uh, yeah. that. So I always, you know, was was uh, very passionate to to do better and and to to try and move through the ranks. Um, and and it never quite happened. And and I probably wasn't good enough at working behind the scenes. All of the things that that Trevor said. I love driving a car, but I hated speaking to people and and trying to raise money. And uh, I'll hold my hand up to that. I I wasn't good enough at the out of car stuff. Okay, Trev, when you started, did you genuinely start based on the fact that you were going to be a professional co-driver? No, and not like Ryan, I didn't want to uh, have the Finnish national anthem player when I got on the podium. <laughs> but, um, absolutely not. When I started at age 14, uh, definitely not. I never thought anything like that. All my mates who are a lot older than me, uh, long story short, my dad died when I was 15, and a few mates who were interested in rallying took me under the wing. They were eight, seven, eight years older than me. And uh, they encouraged me to do it, so I used to plot maps and get route instructions and do that in my spare time. And, uh, yeah, definitely not. I was addicted to rallying from the age of 10 when I went to my first rally until I left to go backpacking age 20 or 21, whatever it was. And it was everything. So going to a body shop to rub down cars every Saturday for three quid, everything I got went into paying for entry fees, and I had to pay insurance. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got the, the spin. But absolutely no way that I think I could do it professionally. At that time, Terry Harriman, uh, Fred Gallagher used to admire those guys and think, wow. And it was only later on when I got asked to do the British Championship in 1996 with Robin Phillips that I went along to the rally and started to look at all these heroes and thinking, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? And I thought, oh, maybe I could do this. And it was that spark in the Welsh rally, I think it was, in, in 1996 that thought, you know what? I'm going to have a crack at this. But it was that late. It wasn't something. And I thought, they're doing that. And, you know, I was very lucky as well that uh, Ask with Autosport picked us up at the time, Neil and I. And the, the help that they gave us, a semi-professional team, was just quite incredible what they could do with a budget. But all the other skills that I was lacking coming from South Armagh, they helped me with. And I was always a sponge trying to learn everything from everybody. And on the back of that, I gained the confidence. But... I would say 90% of the people who come to me for coaching now, uh, a lot of it is around this limit and self-belief that they can't do it. So I'm a, a, an example of why you can actually do it and you can be half decent at it if you, if you are willing to uh, do the legwork, as Ryan said, and uh, and meet the right people, uh, understand how those people can how you can help those people and, and keep asking for advice at the very highest level. People love giving advice and and when you do all of that and you do the legwork, it's even harder now. 
without doubt, but there's still people out there that are happy to invest. Yeah, so Jack, that, where I was going with this, Jack, is that the, you know it doesn't have to be the end game in being a professional. No, you, you, no, you definitely you bang on there. You're absolutely bang on there. And perhaps, perhaps that's what we need to tap into. I don't know. I, I've not even thought this through. And by all means, if anyone wants to put me straight, as people like, do like to do, you can do it on Twitter, of course, absolute underscore rally on Twitter, or you can email studio at absolute. Uh, rally.co.uk it's it's a debate I wasn't really planning on having but that's why I like doing these podcasts when it's just four of us like this because they can genuinely go absolutely anywhere but anyway um, believe it or not we're two thirds of the way through the podcast gentlemen in fact probably even a little bit more than that um, so I want just to just top and tail that quickly Tony yeah of course uh, so if you're a marshal in a rally at the minute and you go to your local motor club you're part of that you know, in time, what should happen is you should be able to go and buy a road car that you don't need to put a roll cage in and go and have a bit of fun and compete and get involved in it. That's the absolute basic minimum. And uh, there's certainly plenty of ways that you can do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you are, you know, again, if you are a marshal and you are listening to it uh, and you are involved with your motor club and we're missing something and you want to put us straight again, like I've just said, by all means, studio, absolutelyrally.co.uk. It'd be great to talk a little bit more about that. Um, I wanted to catch up on a couple of things, uh, Jack, with regards to um, Toyota testing, which is just scary. Um, testing the new car and also testing this other car as well. I don't know what's scarier, really, the fact that they've built this car in the first place or the fact that it's testing already. What, what do you guys think? I think it's just basically like Group B, isn't it, all over again? They built, built, Tommy Mackinnon has built that road car, effectively, in conjunction with Toyota. Yeah. So all the suspension pickup points, you know, all the, you know, the chassis and everything, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it's still based on the Yaris, but he's, he's sort of pre-tinkering with what his rally car is going to be when he gets his rally car. It's uh, it's just like when we used to have the 205 T60 road cars and stuff like that to me. It's absolutely incredible. So the, the fact that Toyota are making that investment and are, are willing to do that is just phenomenal. And the fact that they're testing already is just, it, it's unreal, isn't it? You know, it almost makes you want to give up 2021 already, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah. apart from Hyundai, who else can match that? Uh, there's not, there's not, there's not that level of funding or commitment from from M Sport, I don't think, unless they can persuade Ford in, which is the same conversation we have every single year, isn't it? And you know, I think uh, I'd be surprised if Hyundai, you know, actually, I'd I'd like to ask uh, Andre Adamo that, you know, what does he think about the fact that this car's testing already, and what what is, what is the mood at, at Hyundai? And I'm sure he'd talk about giraffes or zebras or something in in the process of his answer. But uh, I'm, I'm, if you could get to a, if you could get to a, if you could get to a proper answer, I think it'd be brilliant to know exactly what he thinks of the fact that they've got that car a they've got that car in the first place and b that they're testing it already because yeah that that to me is extremely worrying for, right. for, for the other teams i mean right that you know there's not more to be said about that is there really? phone him up just, jack phone him up let's get him on now sorry go on right <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. And it goes back to this whole Tommy Mackinnon project, doesn't it? You know, we talked endlessly about it in the first place, why they're creating this new facility. But uh, but Tommy Mackinnon has the direct ear of Toyota-san. You know, he just goes straight to the top. He's not dealing with uh, a board. He's not dealing with senior management that are reporting to somebody. He just goes and deals with the man at the top and says to the man at the top, this is what we need. We need an homologation car. 
you know, you don't need an homologation car anymore in, in WRC. That's the whole point of the rules. But they've built a base car that improves their, their rally car. So they've effectively done what Jack said and, and built an homologation car because he has the ear of the man at the top. So it's, uh, it, it's incredibly impressive to see. Um, the good thing is, uh, Hyundai in, in the worldwide marketplace are desperate to beat Toyota. And, and that's, that's the same in the world championship. So that, that's good that I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll try and, uh, do their very best to match Toyota. But where does the sport go from there? You know, what happens behind that? As you just said, can M sport keep up with that? Are we ever going to see anybody else come in? And every time this happens, the cost of the cars becomes more expensive. I think we should have a minimum of five cars each. So those manufacturers are investing that sort of money. That'll do, that's the job sorted. Well, well, Hyundai might as well, Hyundai could have what ten cars because they've got the drivers already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, you, you know they've got the drivers. I think the drivers are now being issued squad numbers. So, um, <laughs> so do you know what? Thank you, right? Because that's just reminded me where I wanted to go. Of course, Craig Breen is back for Hyundai in uh, on Rally Sweden. But of course, the, the announcement, which I kind of half alluded to a couple of weeks ago, was also confirmed uh, just over a week ago now with Craig doing ERC. Jack, uh, a surprise for you. Um, yes, I was expecting to see Craig do it, but at the same time, when you when you kind of add two and two together, it's you know it's well, it it is certain that he's not going to do a full WRC campaign this year because he didn't do Monte Carlo, but he's probably not going to get you know uh, a full campaign from here. And yeah, you know he needs to be he needs to be doing something. So you've you've got to look somewhere and and see what the kind of the next best thing is. Obviously, last year he did the, the Irish tarmac, he did a bit of Italian championship as well. So you know what was the next logical step? And you know it's clear that MRF are, are making a big investment in rallying at the minute. Um, obviously, done people will have seen the the Asia Pacific Rally Championship car that they had going for a while. They've obviously been doing a lot of work at the grassroots in the UK and developing different tyres and stuff. So it's good to see uh, you know another kind of manufacturer getting involved, especially at a time where D Max kind of dropped dropped off the radar so we've, we've kind of got a little bit of a replacement for that and yeah you know if they if they want anyone to drive their their car then uh, craig's got to be pretty high on the agenda of people who's available to to compete for the season so it's a bit of a bit of a no-brainer on all sides i think right you're an mrf driver tony were you were you not able to do one or two events or what was the crowd uh, no, unfortunately, I wasn't offered the deal it wasn't it wasn't on the table for me is, is craig green's deal works blessed it's it's, <laughs> it's very it's very much works blessed i can assure you it's very much works blessed. It's run by a private team over in Italy. Um, it was going to be a two-car team. I can say that. Um, with you? No, Jeez, not with me. And uh, was Trev going to co-drive? Yeah, Trev was back. That's why he was washing his, his yeah. race shoes. Yeah, they're back in the garage again. Yeah. Jack, uh, Jack Benyon, you missed this story. Yeah, where was you, Jack? Uh, no, in all seriousness, it was going to be a two-car team. And I was surprised when it was announced the second driver wasn't announced. Um, who I thought was going to be announced. And that's all I can say, because I will get into a lot of trouble about that uh, if I said any more. But uh, I've known about that deal for quite some time. Um, it's but, great. Yeah, I should try my championship goes European now. So Callum Devine, Craig Breen battling out in front. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, whatever people think about, about the tyre, they are putting fantastic investments in. Obviously, it was only them and Pirelli that really tended for, for WRC moving forward as the control tyre. Obviously, Pirelli won that and, and, you know, in many ways, perhaps that was the right way to go and, and to allow MRF to continue their developments. And this is why what they're doing with, with Craig is, is, is happening really. And, uh, obviously, uh, also there's some ex-Pirelli staff and ex-DMAC staff now behind the scenes as well. 
who've worked at world championship level for many many years so um it's great it's a, it, it is a great story as jack said it's it's you know obviously i've worked with them for for a number of years and you know genuinely speaking they're, they're a great great people to deal with and uh the passion for rallying you know they they put serious money into rallying outside of the 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 eye that perhaps we all have on looking at european rallying um wrc and stuff like that the asia pacific programs they've funded for an you know for a long long time was was phenomenal and of course a lot of skoda motorsport younger drivers you know pontus tiedemann i think went through that i don't know the team who did it i don't think he did but um skoda motorsport used it for quite a lot for their young drivers coming through um obviously Kapetsky went over and did asia pacific as well um and then before that the control tire in australia went yeah the other year is a year or two with control tire i think that that deal's now over um so that's that that's all over now which is why the the focus and perhaps on other things but um no they they are very very keen and um they are gonna keep getting they're going to invest more and more in rallying and you know you should try and get any anybody that wants to invest in rallying in my book is a good guy as far as i'm concerned at the moment i, so, I think uh, you've done enough there to secure your 2021 contract well done my, i've got me 2020 my 2020 deals confirmed anyway oh, so no, no, like, 2021 that's what i said uh, no i'll be right i'll be retired by then trev i'll be retired by then <laughs> retired yeah so there you go anyway listen um it was the jack and i previewed it last week it was the opening round ironically of the mrf btrda rally championship of course alongside the british rally championship it was all a little bit nip and tuck right um talking about events being cancelled i think only 10 days before cambrian rally was was seriously um on the rope so to speak with regards to the numbers of entries and things like that they ran reduced mileage they also uh, move the service area out of Land Dudno, which I'm going to talk to Jack about on on another subject in a moment. But uh, the event did run, and um, I think Matt Edwards has said a couple of times when he's been on the podcast, it only takes two to have a race, but we had more than two to have a race. Yeah, firstly, who'd want to be an event organiser? That's not an easy task, is it? No. Uh, are we going to get enough entries to run? Can we run it? Uh, when's that storm coming? Uh, you know, like the, the reporting rally the following day had to be cancelled because of the storm. So it, it's difficult being a rally organiser. But nonetheless, like you said, uh, it was a great battle, wasn't it? Um, it was It was good to, to, to see a number of R5 cars fighting at the front. I mean, Matt, the, the result looked quite comfortable in the end, but obviously Tom Cave was... Uh, was pushing him all the way actually leading when uh when he he hit a rock and then uh ocean ocean price first time out on gravel in the hyundai uh first time back in the brc for two years he decided he was he was going to take it sensible and 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 got a great second place out of it so um yeah you know nice to see some uh, some r5 cars battling there in the british championship this is Absolute Rally. Ireland's leading commercial note supplier, Killian Duffy, has joined forces with 2016 British Rally champion Craig Parry to form On The Pace Note UK. For more information, visit the website onthepacenote.co.uk. Welcome back to the final section of Absolute Rally. Trev, um, an eerie thing for this, but on the BTRDA section for the first, I think, was it two or three? I think Jack, do you know what, Jack, I'm going to say this to you first. But, yep, uh, I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say, and I'm not just saying it because of what tyres he was on. Ian Joel, Escort Cosworth leading overall. 
I know after two three stages I think and then he climbed to the wall on the uh, on, on the, the great arm didn't he but uh, yeah Evergreeny and Joel he's been competing in the BTR day I think well over 30 years now I think it's 33 or something like that and operates his his uh, his, his garage and stuff like that he's just a you know dead down to earth guy lovely to have a laugh with and a joke always go and grab him for a coffee at service and stuff like that and yeah top bloke I, I was really surprised to see that car well not really surprised but you know that, that car doesn't belong at the top of the leaderboard that's for sure especially when there's a load of uh, WRC Fiestas and Skoda Fabio R5s and stuff in, in that mix as well so yeah great to see him doing so well maybe we should have him on the podcast to talk us through his performance on those first three stages <laughs> I don't think Ian would come anywhere near a podcast to be perfectly honest he probably doesn't even know what a podcast is bless him probably not no he doesn't but uh, but still uh, Trev did you did you cast an eye at the BRC um, what was what was your take on it obviously we, 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 we'd be we've been concerned about the number of the entries but you know, one thing that the retort has always been back is the the quality was there, and you know we did I suppose have four or five drivers that that probably could lead the way. Yeah, no, due to see, uh, nice to see the protons out there and doing so well as well. Competitive times in them. Josh McIrlan, a big shout out to him, who was third at the time when he uh, when he kept the wheel, I think, and, uh, and damaged the suspension. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good start as we always talk about. Let's hope it continues that way right the way through the championship. Right, uh, boys, we're going to go to any other business because we're at that point of the podcast, uh, but it's going to be Jack's any other business uh, with the nicknames. I did actually get some emails in, by the way, Jack. Did you? Excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. There wasn't well, too many tweets. There wasn't too many tweets, but I did get some emails in. So right. um, this is from somebody that Ryan Champion might know. Um, so this is from Darren Garvey, Ryan Champion. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. do know Okay. Uh, hi, back in 2007-2008, ADR Motorsport ran the Mitsubishi Works team. Do and Darren was working on them. <laughs> yeah, do you remember, do you remember that period by any chance? Uh, uh, right, I, I particularly remember 2007-2008 because I wasn't involved. Oh, there you go. Sorry to rub salt in the wood. Um, when they ran Wilkes uh, and Evans, we used to call Gwyndaf Gandalf. Uh, we had no nicknames at the time for Guy O'Ryan, unfortunately. So it was a bit of an anticlimax of the email, Darren. But thanks for thanks for taking the time to, to send that in. Champion, um, champion is like the goat of nicknames, though. Surely, really, champs doesn't champs even, he doesn't even need a nickname. His surname is just the best nickname ever. It is champs. Fair play. Fair play. Um, second, my second favourite nickname in rally, and I'm going to make it. Go on. What's your first? Well, I teased my first one on last week's podcast. Were you listening, right? Because you definitely know the answer to this one. I didn't listen last week. If I'm right. it's, uh, it's, it's Ian Duncan and the flying sausage, which ah. he also had written down the side of his Celica in '94 in Rally, uh, in inside a little picture of a sausage on the side of the car, which was which was quite nice. Do you want me to continue, Tony? Because I've got a, yeah, I've got a bit of a I, list I, going. I, I think mine will is is the ultimate. Well, and can, I we, share can, we, can we do our favourite ones, Jack? Because yeah, you, you do your you, favourite ones yeah. first. Yeah, go on then, right. Well, am I going now? Am I? Yes, right. go, 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 go. All right. Well, my favourite nickname in rallying is uh, a man who's who's rallied for I don't know thirty thirty years plus. Um, I used to rally things like Fiat One Three One, Scorners, uh, Mantas, Lanciers, all the way through um, Pro Drive M3, Pro Drive Subarus, uh, and he has the same core driver today in the European Historic Championship as he did in something like 1980. Uh, the guy is called Luigi Battistoli, otherwise known as no, don't know that one. Lucky. Lucky Luigi. Lucky Luigi. Lucky. Okay. He's known just as Lucky, and he has Fabrizio Pons co-driving for him now as he did 30 years ago. 
Okay. Um, Trevor Agnew, would you like to offer a nickname? Uh, yeah, I've got a few actually. One uh, came to the surface about three, four years ago when Chris Meek and Stephen Whitford were heading to their test for Monte Carlo. I think it might have been Marseille or somewhere. They got picked up by a taxi driver. That taxi driver was Alan O'Reilly, who used to be called Alan O'Reilly when he rallied for Renault in Ireland. <laughs> and likewise, of course, with Finns, you got uh, you got Tappy O'Larkinen, you got Mick O'Hervinen. Uh, all get Irish names, of course. Chevette HSR, did anybody remember the nickname that had? It was Hissing Sid Racing. Uh, and of course, drivers that I co-drove, Skid Row, Martin Row, and Neil Weird one, I wonder who that was. And, <laughs> and a good one for you, Ray, um, you, you talk about nicknames. I think you'll get this. So this was a guy who was from Belgium. I think he won the Belgian Championship a couple of years. His choice of weapon was a Fyodor Barth, 131. Um, his son went on to rally and win the British Championship. Uh, the car was yellow and black. He finished ninth in the Manx in 1981. Um, and he had a nickname which apparently was because he didn't want his wife to know that he was rallying. So you're talking about the 80s? I remember the car. I remember seeing the car. Um, Didi. Yay! Well done. Who was it? Didi. That was his nickname. Uh, his real name was John Muir. Sorry, John Marie Calls. His son was Larry Calls, who went on to become a uh, Belgian champion. Um, I think in 2007, beating Freddie Likes. Uh, his daughter Daisy rallied as well. So John Marie Calls was Didi. And uh, no, I always remember that. Okay. Uh, mine, uh, which I shared with Gary Boyd, I wrote on my pad, but Gary Boyd sends his as well, I think is the ultimate. Well, Possum, Possum Bourne. Possum Bourne is a good yeah, one. Of course, yeah. I'm going to take that off my list. Yeah, go on. Right, go on. Then. Do you, do you know what? I feel like we should have like the, 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 the top of the Possum music here, but go on. Let's just, just rattle through them now then. We'll just do it quickly. Uh, first of all, thanks for, to Bertie Redfern as uh, one of the most loyal listeners of Absolute Rally for sending his in. Uh, I'm not going to repeat Tony's because I don't think that should be uh, repeated live on air. I definitely don't want to regurgitate that one. Um, <laughs> Greb is the tractor. Uh, Ryan, you were Del Monte and I was Absolute for Absolute Benyon. So thanks for those, yeah. Bertie. Um, there's a bit of crossover between my list and a few Bertie sent in as well, so I'll, I'll rattle through these, but we've got uh, Mickey Biazion. Obviously, uh, Massimo Biazion. Um, Richard Burns was Burnsy, and we had Michael Beef Park as well. Uh, and one of after that it starts getting a little bit. So we've got three quite uh, quite good ones that I thought you might mention, but none of you have. So the most left field one is Monster Tajima, who's not really. I guess it's quite off off piste calling him a rally driver because he's more Pikes Peaks, but he's cool and he always drives cool cars. So I thought he deserved a mention. Uh, 2003 WRC champion. Oh, 2003 Loeb? No. Peter Solberg. Solberg. Solberg, yes. Hollywood. Hollywood. There you go. And Walter Roll. Does anyone know his nickname in German? It was used quite extensively in the German press and it sort of caught on a little bit, but I don't think people really knew whether to use it in English or German, so I don't think it really caught on in the UK, but it was quite interesting anyway. No, no. go on. It was Genie Alf Radern. Which uh, I've definitely pronounced incorrectly, which is genius on wheels. When when I was when I was younger, a friend of mine had a better nickname for him, or, or actually referred to him as the carpet salesman. 
Has to what? Carpet salesman. The carpet salesman? Wall to wall. Ah. <laughs> uh, right, boys, um, have you got any other businesses? Yes. Okay, I've got I've got one which I very quickly want to say, uh, and I want Ryan to elaborate because I wasn't I wasn't sure on this because he tweeted a picture about it today uh, as we record this. Um, as liveries go, Yari Matty Lartfell is for Rally Sweden is possibly the worst world rally car I think I've seen. <laughs> sponsored by sponsored by who? Well, I can't remember who it was, but I know you 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 you, you yeah. then tweeted a picture with a girl with a t-shirt on. Yes. Obviously, she had a main beam on. So, so I did a bit of a Google to see what this one was. It's called Gigapotty. Right. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, they manufacture wheel nuts, don't they? Well, if that's the case, Trev, has it been talked up too tight? That's Trev, that Trev, Trev, I wasn't sure if it was a... I just Googled it. I didn't know if it was a huge map reading device or um, or something to toilet train elephants. I didn't really know, but... Either way, it turns out to be an online gambling site, and if you Google it, you'll see interesting pictures. Yeah, and go. a terrible livery, Yari Matty. We yes. love you, and yeah, you love absolutely. cars, you love liveries. What happened? Of all Something. people to have a Tosh livery, he should not yeah. have accepted that. Yeah, he should have sent it back. He should have kept he's the receipt. Got, he's got proper fever. Of all the of all the people in the WRC, he'd want to sit down and have a pint with. He'd be up there for for the stories that he could tell you, or at least you'd know he'd be interested in all elements of rallying from all of rally history. And he's delivered one of the most boring liveries in WRC history, which is very upsetting. Yes, true. Right. Any other business rank champion? <sighs> right. Okay. This uh, goes back to Jack Benyon's Twitter debate this week, and this all endless is that conversation. Jack or Jake? Yes, both. Both okay. of them were involved in the debate. Uh, this <laughs> endless conversation about WRC 2 and WRC 3, because as we know, uh, we're seeing drivers in, uh, in both categories really from, from various backgrounds because WRC2 isn't just for professional drivers. If it's a professional, if it's a manufacturer team, you pay a hundred thousand dollars to enter or euros or whatever it is uh you can enter wrc2 as a private team and it only costs you ten thousand to enter uh so we've got private drivers in theory in wrc2 and factory backed drivers in wrc3 so this is where this whole mess is that we've been talking about over over the last few weeks and we're seeing uh um uh, Oliver Solberg, for example, in Sweden, he's, yes, it does say customer on the side of uh, those big Skoda trucks, but they are big Skoda trucks nonetheless in WRC3. Eric Camilli, as soon as he won R5 in Monte Carlo, thanks Citroen for his, uh, you know, for his R3 drive. So it's fair to say the waters are muddy and we've, we've touched on this one already. Um, there's two things really. Uh, firstly, the solution would be to go back to the old-fashioned system and just have an r5 category whatever you're calling it now is that what's that called now r2 is it i don't know yeah whatever it is on the new scheme yep so you either go back to it or you want a secondary category for the likes of john armstrong john talked quite passionately about why wrc3 was a was a good thing um for him to aspire to because it was unlikely he could win wrc2 given the the amount of, of backing and uh, and funding that some of those drivers have so I was thinking, um, if you if you're the FIA and you're determined to stick with the two categories, what's the solution? Um, Tony Simpson, you come to me talking about one mate championships. Um, you've driven quite a lot of class cars. Um, why do we have different classes? Why do we have different classes? Yeah. To- 
to... It's not a difficult question, but why why do we normally have different classes? Well, I suppose, did it boil down to homologation at one point? What cars were well, homologated so they could run in... You know, the, it was a fair right. it, it was a fair battle in that particular class. So it was A5, it would be, oh. you know, a, a Group A 1400 or whatever. So what differentiates, for argument's sake, then an A5 car to an A6 car? Or what was the difference? Uh, was engine size. There was a difference. Engine size. Yeah, there was a difference, though. That's why we had different classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have, uh, for you, a Fiesta R2 class for the person who comes from Liverpool and a Fiesta R2 class for the, the man who comes from Manchester, but still in the same cars, did we? No. Which is effectively what we've got in WRC 2 and WRC 3 at the minute. So, if we're going to have different classes, why not differentiate the cars? Dead simple, smaller restrictor for WRC 3. Oh. So you put, what are they on, 32 mil on a, on a uh, WRC 2 car and say 30 mil on WRC 3, then in theory your WRC 3 cars aren't going to beat your WRC 2 cars. It differentiates them. Uh, there's a slight performance difference and it, there's an actual sensible difference between the two classes. And probably and slightly cheaper running costs as well. And then a bigger restrictor for the top level. Yes. Job sorted. I, do I, don't, I don't think that is a solution, Ryan. Well, oh, controversial. Give me Go on, Jack. Go on, Jay. The, the second part of it is that I don't, also don't have a solution either because as the, <laughs> as, as the Twitter debate pointed out, I don't think it's possible to police R5 testing, which is the big problem. So, for example, I'm pretty sure one driver last year was doing in between 20 and 30,000 kilometers worth of testing and there's nothing to stop Oscar Solberg doing 20 to 30 kilometers you know, thousand testing if he wants to in his in his Skoda with the with that big truck as you mentioned, which is entered under a customer racing theme. But you know, it's quite clear that Skoda are supporting that, and you know, um, talked about the fact that they were going to you know continue in the WRC with with that program when they launched the, for for the season. So, uh, I think for me, the big problem is testing. And as George A, you called me Jake, uh, no hard feelings, <laughs> George. Um, quite rightly pointed out there's you know social media does a good job of stopping people from private testing these days but if you're going to prove that someone's you know illegally testing you need to see them getting out of the car or you actually need to see their face you can't just have a picture of a car that says x was testing here today because someone on twitter told you that he's testing there you know that's not good enough so uh, i think it's too difficult to police testing from all around the world especially with as i mentioned on twitter where we've got people coming from you know he's got a um martin wilkinson from bolivia as i like to call him <laughs> in reference to the ca1 sport boss martin wilkinson um coming from bolivia and we've got you know teams coming you've got the hellers coming from peru and stuff like that um you know, sorry chile so you know how, how do you how do you police the testing element that's the thing that uh, i think is the real problem because theoretically it's not really much much the, the, the cars are the same so theoretically a driver should be able to to drive them just as quick the difference between for me wrc2 and wrc3 at the minute the, the the performance difference or advantage is in the testing so that's the problem that they need to you know wipe out otherwise you just put everyone in the same category but as you said if you can't police that though why not differentiate the two classes because yes. you could because then you'll you know the likes of Solberg he won't want to be in WRC three because he wants to be um, you know somebody like Osberg in WRC two and at the at the minute he can enter whichever class it doesn't matter they're all trying to be be the first R five car and it just makes a mockery of having the two different classes so differentiate the cars and you won't have the problem there you go 
There you go. This, this, this is, I almost feel like this is a podcast in itself. Boys, we are running massively over time. So I want to get to Shrev's any other business. Shrev? Uh, just a quick one then to get everybody involved. Anyone who has finished in the top 10 of a world championship rally as a driver and a co-driver, do you know of anybody? Certainly Ryan will know somebody. Uh, before he jumps in, uh, Fabrizia Pons, I'm going to give that one away. Because uh, she, I think, finished ninth in San Remo, nineteen seventy-eight. So, any other person who has finished in the top ten? Yes, there is. And you can also, well, keep it to yourself. Oh, okay. And you could also bring it down to national level. So, any uh, BRC, Irish Tarmac, that type of thing, uh, or any any driver who is still in the back of the Arimati taking Yuha Hannon as a co-driver this week. Um, which I think is absolutely fascinating to see. Okay. Okay. I've got no idea, by the way, but then again, I haven't got the encyclopedic memory of what Ryan well, Shelkin has. I, ironically, if, if we had been, had a, I'll start again. If we had had a little more time, it was on my uh, pad as well to discuss this, but Trev got there first. Okay, well, there you go. Um, uh, that is the end of this week's podcast. Uh, as, hope- uh, as Trev pointed out, though, Get people to tweet in. Who else? Well, Who else? Well, yeah, somebody, no, else has somebody else has done it in the WRC. Do you know what? Right, right. What we've got to happen then, right? Listening, right? Listening, right? Right, folks, that's the end of the podcast. But just before we go, any of the points that we've discussed, you know how to get in contact with us. Absolute underscore rally on Twitter, of course, where everybody yep. can see it. If not, if you want to keep it private, you may want to do that. You can email studio at absoluterally.co.uk about all the things that we've discussed. Jeez, you go off playing your bloody Tonka toys for two or three weeks and go back and just take over the train set again. Think you're the big boss. Doesn't work like that. How does that sound right? Did that sound okay? Do they make a monster truck sized piece for your train set? (laughs) (laughs) Are we doing predictions? Yes. Right. All right, we'll do predictions. Right. Uh, My my prediction is Oitanak's going to win. There you go. Done. That's how quick I'm going to do it. Okay. Jack, one more. Jack, I think Yari Matilatlo is going to win. Oh, Ryan Champion. Uh, I am going Sebastian Oje for the win. Right, Trevor Agnew. Uh, I'm going Cali Rovenpera. Stick my neck right out. <laughs> I want wow. him to win a rally. This is his best chance. Depending on conditions, it doesn't matter. Oitanic five to two. Yari Matilatlo ten to one. Rovenpera sixteen to one. Folks, you're here to hear first. Can I, if you can, I say something else, Tony. Go on, Jack. Before we finish. <laughs> or, or, or as an outside... You should be doing this on purpose. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's to do with the predictions. So Go. don't forget, Absolute Rally listeners, that we've got a fantasy WRC league that you can of enter. Course. So if you search Sorry. Absolute Rally, uh, you can you can do your predictions ah, in, in, the, in the form yes. of a fantasy league and come and join us. And uh, yeah, I think the... I think the the forfeit for the for the worst absolute rally presenter performance in fantasy WRC this year is going to go and do a day's work at Kielder for free. So, and and brilliant, Jack. Well, well reminded because we're, we're doing the online one, which everybody can see. But we've also got the uh, the Kielder fantasy WRC. And and Tony, you were very very chipper because you were doing well in the in one. How are you doing in the Kielder one? Folks, thanks for the download. We really do appreciate it. Uh, please, if you can give us a five-star review on iTunes, that really does make a difference. Spread the love, spread the word. We'll be back same time, same place, in the podcast hall next week. Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.